You're listening to a brand new episode of the Last Interview Podcast. Joining the podcast today, Trey Hillman. He's the third base coach of the Miami Marlins. He's actually making his way down to spring training now. Trey, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, Alex. How are you? Good I'm, to hear from you. You too, and uh, uh, this is my favorite time of year, spring training right around the corner. Um, I am in, I'm back in New York though, Trey, and I have to say it's, uh, it's a warm 20 degrees here in New York, so I'm looking forward to spring training and baseball coming soon because that means it's finally getting back to the warmer weather side of things. Amen to that. We actually had to leave uh, a day earlier than planned to run from a winter storm in Texas. We're actually getting snow at our central Texas home right now, so we got out of there just in time, and we've hit a little bit of moisture, but... uh, much warmer temperatures mm-hmm. than back home in Liberty Hill, just northwest of Austin. Mm-hmm. Is it a different preparation for you right now, preparing for the 2021 season? It's not different than it was in uh, 2020, because actually we're going into the 2021 spring training with all the same protocols uh, actually enhanced a little bit uh, through Major League Baseball to make sure everyone's safe. So. We have a mandatory five-day quarantine with specific restrictions prior to arriving. So that uh, quarantine actually started two days ago. And then uh, once we arrived, uh, in our case, in Jupiter, Florida, where our spring training home base is for the Marlins, we have uh, a two-day mandatory stay at the hotel with... uh, our organizational meetings pre, uh, pre-screening, I believe, starts on the 17th, 16th or 17th for us. Uh, we have to stay at the hotel and uh, have our meetings virtual with uh, Microsoft Teams or Zoom calls. Hmm. So, uh, like we said, you are the third base coach of the Marlins. Before, you were the first base coach. What's the biggest difference between the two? between being a first base coach and a third base coach. Is there anything that drastic different? Well, the, uh, to answer it concisely, the answer is yes. Uh, you know, my entire career really has been spent in the dugout uh, as, as a manager or as mm-hmm. a bench coach or on the third baseline uh, prior to the 2019 season when I became the Marlins infield coach first base coach. Uh, it's just amazing the different things that you see from the different angles that you're at actually out on the field. Uh, third base coach is much more engaged with the line of thinking managerially and obviously getting signs from him, which are a different set of signs that you actually relay to the players. And then uh, some third base coaches and in, in our situation, uh, third base coaches will actually relay different sides to the first base coach to give them an idea of what might be coming or what's happening pitch to pitch. When you became either the first base or third base coach, what surprised you most? Because like you said, you spent most of your career managing games, so what surprised you most when you became in one of those positions? Well, I'd say it was probably 2019, being up that first baseline, you know, being able to being able to see that angle uh, of the game, so to speak. And, and I had seen it so many times 
from the dugout and from the third base side, having managed and coached uh, my way through the minor league system with the New York Yankees. And most of that time, I managed for 12, 12 of my 13 years with the Yankees. And most of those seasons, I believe it was nine or 10 of those seasons, I was actually managing and coaching third base. So I'd, I'd have to say the biggest revelation to me was uh, seeing other things that I'd never seen before up that first baseline, especially at the major league level mm-hmm. where the game is played at a much faster rate. When the day came that your playing career ended, did you know that you wanted to stay in baseball for sure after your playing career? Yeah, actually, I had a conversation. Uh, my last year to play in 1987, I, I talked to a gentleman named Jeff Scott. We still stay in touch. His position with the Cleveland Indians was uh, director of player development and scouting. Um, we spoke in August of 1987. I approached him, and I just said, look, I, I love this game. I have a passion for this game. Uh, I want to stay in baseball for the rest of my life. I believe I, I can contribute in uh, some vein uh, uh, professionally. And I said, you're going to have to rip this uniform off of me because I, I want to continue my dream of trying to make it to the major leagues as a player. But uh, when you decide it is time for that uniform to come off, I would appreciate strong consideration to stay uh, in the game in some fashion. And he actually called me about two months later and said, look, you're – Invited back to spring training, you'll be competing for the double-A or the triple-A utility position job. Uh, So understand that first and foremost. But he said, you're the one that approached me and you expressed interest in staying involved in baseball. He said, said, I'm going to revamp our scouting department. And if you choose to take this job, geographically, uh, it's in your area. You would be in charge of half of Texas and all of the state of Oklahoma as a scouting supervisor uh, in the amateur realm of scouting for the Cleveland Indians. And if you take it, you'll be the youngest full-time scout in the country at 25 years old. So uh, at the tender age of 24, which is not old now, but back then that was a little bit older to have topped out at AA, uh, I chose to hang the cleats up and uh, take the scouting position and I've, I've never looked back. I was always pretty realistic about my skill set in comparison to the, the guys that were getting the majority of the playing time in front of me. Did you enjoy scouting? Loved it. Yeah, I, I loved it to a point where actually when I was approached by the New York Yankees and uh, they called and asked for permission from uh, the Cleveland Indians and Jeff Scott to uh talked to me about getting back on the field and being part of their development group. I told Jeff that I was really enjoying it. and I was hoping that he could match their offer. He told me that I would be absolutely crazy not to take the Yankees deal and work for that storied organization, a guaranteed two-year deal. And at that time, Jeff wasn't even sure where his career was going as my supervisor and boss with the Cleveland Indians. So in short, he told me, uh, he said, I, I'm not going to allow you to make the mistake of, of trying to stay here with us. You need to take this job. So you go to the Yankees after then, and then, so you're with the Yankees during what years? In the late 90s, right? Uh, 
joined the Yankees in 1989. Uh, 1989, they made me an infield coach and a third base coach for the Prince William Cannons of the Carolina League. And that very fall at the age of 26, they made me the manager of their instructional league team in Tampa. Uh, and during that time, probably about three quarters of the way through that, uh, my boss, George Bradley, who was vice president of player development and scouting, told me that he had made the decision to uh, make me the youngest manager in New York Yankee history, and I was going to be the Yan- Yankees uh, manager of the New York Penn League team uh, for 1990. So in 1990, they sent me to AAA, and that was the only other time I'd actually coach first base. I coached first base for Stone, Stone Merrill, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, then uh, departed there right after the draft and went to Tampa for a mini camp and then on up to Oneonta, New York to uh, start my managerial career at 27 years old. So Oneonta is about an hour, hour and a half away from Albany. What was your favorite part of being in upstate New York? Uh, just the beauty of it. Mm. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. You know, growing up in, growing up in Texas and and not having traveled a whole lot with the exception of my minor league experience. And I did hit the New York Penn League, so I was a little bit familiar with it. Uh, but the um, just the beauty. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, we all, if you haven't traveled the, the state of New York, you, you think of New York City and you think of skyscrapers and the hustle and bustle of the big city and mm-hmm. New York Minute and all that stuff. And it... Uh, <laughs> It's just absolutely gorgeous. It's uh, up, upstate's gorgeous part of our country. Mm-hmm. So just looking at your resume, you've kind of been able to do a little bit of everything. What is something that you still want to accomplish in your career as a coach? Yeah, I'm pretty simple, Alex. You know, we, we were uh, in two different instances called out of the country, and I, I relate that to my faith. I, I believe that God wanted us uh, from the Texas Rangers to go to Japan. We went over there for five years. Then I didn't honestly didn't think I would ever manage again after managing in Kansas City in 2008, 9, and 10 and was not looking for a managerial job. I'd had stops in, as bench coach with the Dodgers after, uh, after, L, uh, after managing the Royals and then back to the Yankees as a special assistant to Brian Cashman in 2014 and then bench coach in the in our home state of Texas with the Astros in 15 and 16 and uh, honestly was, really wasn't even thinking about managing again and God called us out of the country again and we went to uh, went to Korea for mm. the 17 and 18 years so I, I really don't honestly I don't think about it too much we try to Try to listen to our heart and the direction of God. You know, I'm 58 years old now, and this will be our 37th year. I've got 22 years of uh, managerial experience in four different countries, including Venezuela. And uh, it's uh, yeah, it's not really something that I do a lot of mental gymnastics about. I've got a wonderful wife that loves new adventures and loves traveling with me now that we're empty nested. So. Wherever God sends us and however long he wants us to work, I guess we'll continue to try to follow God's plan. 
what's the biggest difference in the game of baseball between here in America and then in Japan? Uh, Japan is uh, more fundamentally based, more agility based, more small ball based, uh, more of a National League type game, sacrificing a lot of sacrificial uh, play in Japan, scoring the first run, uh, which actually makes a lot of sense in the three primary countries that I've managed. I mean, it's you can look up the statistics and Major League Baseball through the minor leagues, Korea, Japan, the team that scores first, uh, a very high percentage of the time wins the game. So um, it's it, it's a lot more sacrificial in Japan, and it's a lot more offensive-oriented, uh, extra base hit, uh, bat flips, and try to hit bombs in uh, Korea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's been about 10 years since... You were the manager with the Kansas City Royals, and now in your role with the Marlins. How much has this game of baseball changed analytically in those 10 years? Oh, I couldn't even put a percentage on it. It's uh, it's incredible. All the way back to starting out managing, you know, we learned to, we learned to study the house stats, the house stat sheets that we would get with the opposition trying to gain advantages and what statistics to look at from their starting pitcher and their uh, their best hitters, their walk ratio, their strikeout ratio, uh, even the on-base percentage when OBP uh, came into play. And then we graduated from studying the averages, the on-base percentage, and then it went to OPS. Uh, yeah, so a lot of the analytics we were studying already they have different names now. Uh, hmm. There's different ways of, of gauging it and, and valuing it as well as evaluating it. Um, but it's, it's very, very scientific now hmm. uh, to a point as our defensive coordinator, they have it down to uh, within the footage of places we need to position our outfielders and our infielders depending on who our pitcher is and who their hitter is. Hmm. So it, it's very, very scientific, and uh, I'm a big believer in it. The science does work. So I, I continue to call myself an old-school continuing education guy. <laughs> you gotta, you got to keep learning in, in the game. You know, the, well, as a defensive coordinator, before shifts, there were over a mathematician uh came up with the equation that there are over 2,000 possible defensive situations hmm. in a baseball game. And it, like I said, that didn't, didn't even include uh, the shifting. So, it, you know, you never know it all. So you got you to gotta keep learning. I've always known that regardless of what team I've been with and what position or what country. you got to keep learning. The game's always going to teach you different things. What was the last thing you learned in baseball? Uh, the last thing I learned this past season was how accurate what we call our Hawkeye system is. Uh, our Hawkeye system is an overhead uh, in-game positioning camera uh, that we uh, compare to our computer-generated uh, suggested spots, uh, hitter-specific and pitcher-specific. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, we actually uh, have a review on that 
the following day uh, to give us better information uh, of, of getting our positioning as precise, precise as possible to try to defend those 27 outs a game. Hmm. Trey, this is my favorite part of any interview I do. It's the final five questions, and you can either it's either rapid or however long to take to answer them. Are you ready? You bet. When was the last time you surprised yourself? Last time I surprised myself was, oh shoot, probably last season, the last game that we played, just uh, with things that would pop into my head. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What would be your biggest pet peeve? People that don't play the game professionally uh, as a team player. How, how crucial, this is a, a follow-up to that, how crucial is makeup um, in, in this day and age in baseball? Because it is so analytically driven, but how would you say important is the makeup component of a player? Paramount. I mean, it's extremely important. Uh, that's one thing that analytics cannot evaluate. Mm-hmm. What would you say your go-to karaoke song is? My go-to karaoke song. Uh, well, I actually mess around and play the guitar. Uh, and I would say that my favorite song as of right now to play is Hurricane by the Band of Heathens. I love it. So, I love it. What would you say your go-to Netflix or binge-watch show is? Oh goodness, there've been uh, there've been a few, uh, but we we actually have enjoyed the chosen okay. uh, story story of Christ. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's privately funded, so they and they actually filmed part of it uh, in a uh, little area west of Fort Worth, Texas, called Weatherford. Hmm. So it's a uh, it's a good one. And then the last one for the final five, where would be your go-to vacation spot? Uh, we really enjoyed Costa Rica, but we also love Hawaii. We've been there a couple of times, and I actually managed over there uh, in the Hawaiian Winter League. So we've got uh, some dear friends that we hope to reconnect with in Hawaii. Here's another one. Who, this is a, an extra one. Who was the most underrated player you've coached or, or managed? Probably the most underrated, uh, I mean, he was barely on the radar, he was always on the roster, was Jamie Carroll when I was with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He played with the Dodgers and the Cleveland Indians. I mean, he was Johnny on the spot. Uh, he's he's the, the guy I like to say my favorite guy on the roster is Justin. People say, we don't have a Justin. I say, yeah, just in case. I mean, he, he was the guy that that you needed just in case you had an injury or just in case you had a untimely double switch. He could do anything. And mm-hmm. he was uh, very, very timely for us while I was with the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And then, Trey, my last question for you. If a 15-year-old kid walked up to Trey Hellman right now and said, Trey, I don't get baseball. It is so boring to me. I'm never going to watch it. What are you saying to that 15-year-old kid? Give it a try and keep it fun. Uh, we have a facility on our back three acres that 
we donate to the community and that's anytime any of the coaches that have had their teams over to our place anytime they ask me for advice I said man you gotta gotta keep it fun get creative and keep it fun if they look forward to coming they'll fall in love with the game Mm -hmm. do you feel like you've have a different experience about the game just from traveling around the whole world uh, and just seeing this game in different forms? Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I say this with humility, but our Western ego really doesn't, uh, it, it, it doesn't satisfy the differences in the games. Uh, and you really can't appreciate uh, the difference in MLB and, Japan, unless you've actually lived it. I mean, even even with the WBC, I mean, you play a few games against different countries, and until you're actually entrenched in the different cultures and, and you learn about the people and their history of their actual countries and into the actual ball games, you really can't appreciate it as much as uh, most Western Westerners think that they can. Mm-hmm. But Trey, I want to say thanks so much for taking the time to hop on the podcast today. Wish you nothing but success with the upcoming baseball season. And again, appreciate you coming on the podcast. You bet, Alex. Thanks for having me, man. Hope you have a blessed 2021 season with your career. Thank you, Trey.